learning about the book of Revelation um, as we've been studying this, understanding that it's not a revelation, that it's multiple, but this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one. It's singular. And that this whole book is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's not about, it's really not about the white horse that we talked about last Sunday. It's, Revelation is not about the wars and the great tribulation, although the great tribulation takes up uh, chapter 6 all the way through to chapter 18. But it's still not about that. It really isn't. It's about unveiling Jesus for who he is. First of all, in chapter 1, we unveil him as the one who is and was and is to come. In the second and third chapter, we unveil him as what? The, the head of the church, that he is the groom, he is in all command and charge. Then in chapters 4 and 5, we understand that he is praised and worthy of all praise as the lamb that was slain, but standing again in heaven in the throne room, amen? And then you look at it, and a lot of things deal in chapter 6 all the way through to chapter 18 about a lot of things that are gloom, a lot of things that are fearful, things in the scriptures that can bring terror, can bring uh, unease to a lot of people. It shouldn't bring it to you if you're a born-again Christian. It should prepare you and hopefully nudge you and help you to be more about the gospel and centered on the gospel in your life. But it can be fearful, and it can be a book in chapter 6 through 18 that's like, Man, this is just hard. There's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls or vials of God's wrath. And it's like from chapter 6 to 18, it seems like it's never going to end. And you remember we talked about that it's actually seven sets of seven, that it's actually going to be those seven seals that are opened, but when that seventh seal is opened up, it telescopes and opens up to seven trumpets that are going to be blasted of judgment, and then that seventh trumpet that's blasted is actually going to telescope and open up into the last thing, and that is the seven vials of wrath that are going to be poured out on this earth. And you say, well, Brother Steve, it seems like there's so much in here and so much about Revelation that is destructive, it's death, it's uh, killing, it's murder, it's, it's sin, and all of this stuff going on. It's martyrs being beheaded and all of these things that are happening. But the Lord wants you, he tells you all of this stuff so that what? Because he does not want you to die without him. He wants you to believe and trust in him today and the day that you have right now so that you will never have to endure this. And we're given the promise as believers in Jesus Christ that we won't have to endure the great tribulation. You will endure tribulation, but you won't have to endure the great tribulation with a capital T. The scriptures that talk about it are Daniel, the book of Daniel. If you've not been coming on Wednesday nights, I invite you to come on Wednesday nights because what we're doing is is we're taking our Revelation series that we're talking about, and we're getting into the Great Tribulation now. And on Wednesday nights, I'm going back and teaching about what the Great Tribulation is, that last week of the 70th week of the prophecy of Daniel, and showing you all of those things that were to come. And we're talking about people like Antiochus Epiphanes. We're talking about people in history and how all of these things kind of played out. And so I invite you to come on a Wednesday night to understand that Old Testament, New Testament, putting those things together. And uh, the prophecy of Daniel is beautifully laid out in the book of Revelation, if you've not understood it. Then, when we get over into the end of the book, in 19 and 20, we'll get to the millennial reign. 
then the Bible actually tells us in Ezekiel what's going to happen during the millennial reign. It talks about how that the mountain of God, which is talking about Jerusalem, would be moved and that the great sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea, will open up and there will actually be a channel going into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is going to be brought to life and people are going to be fishing and that's a representation of those that were saved, amen, that were dead in their trespasses and sins and now made alive again. It's really good how all those things come together but uh, there's a lot of things that we have to talk about in these seals and then in the trumpets and then in the vials that are going to be poured out because we want to warn you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that he told them that the signs of the times would be these things. And he laid it out very clear. He even told them that you would see some of these things happening, but do not fear because the end is not yet. But then these things are actually going to be poured on even more so and more so and more so in church. I ask your attention again this morning, just as I asked last Sunday, if you would just kind of give just a moment of your undivided attention, and let's look at these scriptures, make sure that you're focusing, make sure you teenagers and you young guys and girls that are in here, that you pay attention and that you listen. Uh, our, our world is eat up with sin, and our world is eat up with, with um, games and other things like that that lead with death and kind of make you numb to these things, kind of make you almost used to these things. And we should never be used to this stuff. A woman should never be used to a man attacking her and, and, and taking a, a possession of her body. A, a woman should never be used to going to a doctor's office and, and having a baby extracted out of the womb and thrown in, into the trash. We should never be used to those things, church. A, uh, uh, a woman or a man should never be used to coming home and seeing just a slobbering drunk that's angry and mad and want to punch you and beat you and lock you in a closet somewhere. But see, what happens is, is all of this stuff is thrown into your face so much in movies and in television and in commercials, even commercials nowadays that are just always in your face. And so now what do you do? You become immune or numb to these things, and we need to wake up. The Bible says we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant, uh, vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. And so this morning, we talked about last Sunday, we talked about the white horse and that first seal that was opened up. But this morning, we're going to talk about that second seal. And if you look with me in Revelation chapter number 6, look at verse number 3, it says, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and the respect and honor of God's word. In verse number 6 it says, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast, or the second living creature, say, He said, Come. It says, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come into your word today, Lord, this is our important time. As we've praised you and we've worshipped you and we've told you and sang unto you, Lord, how much we love you. Lord, as Sister Darla has told us in song, Lord, that someday we'll see you coming in the sky. And Lord, we got that promise that tells us that we'll go up to meet you in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it says to comfort one another with those words. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that the church today, I pray that people in this church today, in this building, I pray that they're shaken. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will just shake them just to see what's in them, Lord. And I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to preach. God, let us not be in your way. And Lord, as John said, Lord, we've got to decrease so that you would increase. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask it together. Amen. <clears throat> First of all, I want to kind of go back and look. We're going to talk about this red horse and uh, the rider that's on it, okay? The Bible says that after that second seal was opened up, that there was a rider of a red horse that came out. When the rider of that red horse came out, it's actually defined as this, that it was a fiery 
red. Some people say it was a bloody red, but it was a fiery red because it was a judgment that was coming. Understand that Jesus is still in full control. Now, some of you say, well, how could Jesus be in full control? But here's this rider of the red horse, and he's coming to do all of these things. I thought Jesus loved me. I thought Jesus died for me. I thought God loved me. I thought God sent his only son to die for me. Why would he judge me? Why would he do this? Because, listen, you've been duped by society. You have been swindled or hoodwinked by society over and over and over that you hear the message, but the only thing that you do hear is that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But you got to understand that He also is a God of full righteousness and holiness, and He will have judgment on this earth someday. Now, I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not a doom and gloom kind of preacher. I invite you over and over to come to Christ through every message I've ever preached in 20 years Through every song that we've ever sang, it's always about come to Christ, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. My favorite invitation song is, and I've told Brandon to sing it every time, it doesn't matter, is either Just As I Am or that song he does, come to Jesus, come to Him. Because that's what I'm trying to get you to do. But I want you to know that He's a God of wrath. We can't give you God on one side of a coin that love, 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 but yet not understand the flip side of the coin that if you reject him, then you leave him no cause but to judge you. But it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. He has sent prophets. He has, listen, he's caught bushes on fire and spoke through bushes. He has sent donkeys to speak. <laughs> Amen. Like me. He has sent people and prophets in the Old Testament. He sent his own son. He has sent Paul and Peter, all apostles. But yet you want to say, God, it's your fault. It's not. It's not his fault. If you go and you die and you're lost without him, it will only be your fault. It will be your fault alone. It won't be what mom and dad did. It won't be what some church did to you and how they hurt you and how some pastor did something or some person run off with a piano player. It won't be their fault. It will be your own fault. You've got to get over and get through those other things and understand that when we stand before God, He says that let every man and woman work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. That when it comes to being saved, it's just a matter of between you and God. Not between me, but between you and God. That white horse last week that we talked about, we're going to spend very little time on him today, but the white horse we talked about, you remember he came in, and the Bible says that when the seal was opened up, Brother Bill, that first seal was loosed, it says that the living creature, that one of those four living creatures began to cry out with a loud voice, and he said, what? Come! And we understand, when you look at the Scriptures, that portion of that Scripture and see is not actually in the original text, but it actually is in that next verse. It's carried on into the next verse. John said, and I looked and beheld a, a white horse and its rider that came in and all that. See, because if it said, come and see, then the Scripture would be telling you, Patty, do you come and see? Or John, you come and see, as though the Scripture is doing that. That's not what happens. Whenever that seal is opened up, Brother Carl, what's happening is Jesus, the great commander-in-chief, the only one that has authority to judge. The Bible says there's one lawgiver, one able to save and to destroy, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one. So when the seal is opened up, it is not Jesus on that white horse. You know why it's not Jesus on the white horse? Because angels don't command Jesus what to do. Amen? Right? They don't command him what to do. No, but what they're calling is, is say, say, 
come. They're calling forth that one that has been held back, that son of perdition, that antichrist that's coming out. And on this white horse, here comes one that proclaims himself as a king, as a ruler, as a conqueror, because he has a crown and a bow with no arrows. Do you remember that? And I think about this. I think about that living creature that called out. I wonder if it was the one that had the face of a lion. Do you all remember the four living creatures? They had the face of a lion because why? The one that had the face of a lion was the one that actually reflected God's throne that said he's the king of all kings. You know, And he called forth that rider to come. And do you remember what he was offering? He was offering peace. He had a bow like he was a good conqueror, like he's defeated something, but he was giving them peace. I want you to understand something. He was giving them a false sense of peace. He was not offering them true peace, but he was bringing them in by telling them what they wanted to hear. During this seven years of tribulation, we're going to learn about this later on in the book of Revelation. During this seven years, he's actually going to come in, this rider on the white horse, and he's going to be so smooth with his words that David described him as this. He says, his words are smooth as butter, but war is in his heart. His teeth are like swords, and his back teeth are like knives. And he was saying that he was always against, that this person was against them, but yet they knew how to talk to you in order to get you to do things. He's going to be a smooth-talking person. He's going to be wrapped up not only in the church, but he's also going to be wrapped up in Jerusalem. He's actually going to allow them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And let me tell you something. If you're wondering if this could happen today or tomorrow, I'm telling you now, it could happen within seconds. They have all of the articles of the clothing of the high priest ready. They have every one of the, the, uh, the uh, uh, tuning forks. They have all of the uh, turning forks, not tuning forks. That's a different thing. They have all of the Levitical priesthood clothing, the garb. They have the menorah lampstand. They have everything ready. It's at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem today. It's probably about 250 yards away from the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall in Jerusalem. It's ready. And they're actually practicing, sacrificing, they're bringing in the priesthood, they're doing all of this stuff. You know why? Because time is wrapping up. Time is wrapping up. And here we go, we say, all right, well what happens? It says in that first portion of that seven year period, the first three and a half years, he's going to come in and he's going to have Jerusalem eating out of his hands because he's going to let them go back to building the temple. That's what they're praying for now. You walk down the walls of this rabbinical tunnel. I've been in there, and we walk down this wall, and we get to this one place where this huge glowing plaque is on the wall. It's a dungeon style. It's dark, lights are real dim. But you get to one place on that wall, and it says, you are now at the closest point to where the Holy of Holies actually was in the days of Herod's temple when Jesus walked here, all of this stuff. You're at that point. They're praying every day. You know what all those prayers are that are in that wailing wall, that western wall? They go up there, and they take a piece of paper, and as they take their piece of paper, they pray over it and they stick it in the cracks. And when they stick them in the cracks of that, you know what they're doing? They're constantly praying that God would restore the temple. God would restore the temple because the Jews got so wrapped up in the temple that they actually begin to worship the temple more than the God of the temple. They actually worship Bethel instead of El Bethel. They actually worship the house instead of God over the house. Amen? And listen, this is what's going to happen. And then... After he sees how that he can bring Jerusalem and he can bring all of these people together in somewhat of a false sense of peace, 
He's going to bring this false Babylonian church the Bible talks about in Revelation. He's going to bring them in, and he's going to have Jerusalem and this church be built up. And then it says that he's also going to be bringing in the government of all the world, bringing all this stuff together. He's going to be the one that solves everybody's problems. But then the Bible says when we open up the second seal that he saw a red horse. The Bible says that this red horse comes in and you look at it. I want to tell you something. He's nothing like the white horse. He's nothing like the white horse, but could this horse be the same? Yes. You say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? That white horse was the first characteristic of who the Antichrist is. When he comes in, he's going to offer this false sense of peace. Why? Because he knows that everybody is going to be looking for the coming of the Lord. When the church is raptured out of here and all these people are gone and disappeared and there's cars everywhere and clothes lying everywhere, all this stuff is happening. They can't find children and they can't find their grandmothers and they can't find their husband or their spouse and all this stuff is going on. Let me tell you something. People are going to start wondering. They're going to go into churches and find Bibles and they're going to be digging into the Scriptures and they're going to be trying to look up and see what could happen, what could happen. And they're going to be looking for somebody coming in. Oh, if they look at all the Old Testament, they're going to be looking for this Messiah, and there's going to be a false Messiah. He's going to be an anti-Christ that's going to come into the world, and he's going to be offering peace, and they're going to see in the Old Testament and Isaiah and all these other things, and Jeremiah, where he was going to come, and he was going to bring peace, but they didn't understand for him to bring peace, he had to come in the beginning and die for our sins in order to bring peace. And if you come on Wednesday night, we talk about that. But the Bible says this red horse now comes out. Look at verse number 4. It says, And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given unto him to set thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Look, number one is this right here. He was given power. The Bible says that he was given power. And you look at this, I want you to understand that this is the word that's not dunamis power, as we talk about in the gospel, but this is called didomi. Didomi power. In the Greek, the word is didomi. And uh, really and truly, if you want to remember it like this, it means ditto to me. Okay? This kind of power means just whatever. It don't mean squat, if you understand what I'm talking about. We, we in terms of country now, it don't mean anything. You squash it out. It says that he was given power. And what that means is, church, it doesn't mean that he was given some kind of uh, uh, great authority in the sense of that, okay, now he's got all things in his control. That's not what it means at all. It means that now in this text, he was given something or supplied or granted or he was given over or allowed to do something. What this gives the picture of is, is that this person on the red horse was now, because Christ opened the seal... You remember that now this person on the red horse says, hey, what will I do? And he comes in and Christ says, I'll give you power. I'll give you allowance. I will allow you to do these things. This picture is like this, as though you've got a bulldog on the end of a chain. Okay? When I was a kid, there was this person that lived up the street from us, and they had this big old bulldog. This thing was just, I mean, just the slobbering. You know what I'm talking about? And in the summertime, how they slobber, and it looks like that that stuff on like lemon meringue pie, you know, and they're just foaming at the mouth and they're slobbering. Any of y'all like that stuff? You don't anymore though. But uh, man, they're slobbering. And he was on a chain. He was not on a rope. This dog was on a chain. And I remember we used to drive this car. It was a big old huge Cadillac. Yeah, not like one of the fancy Cadillacs of the day. More like one of those that has the Texas Longhorn sticking on the front of the hood. We called it the Battlestar Galactica because it was so huge, okay? And <clears throat> the thing would... Make your head kind of bend back a little bit when you'd gas it, but it was still just a lead sled. That was all it was. 
And I remember going down the road one day, and that dog was a car-chasing dog and would love to come and try to just chase the cars. He broke that chain and hit the side of that car, dented the, the hubcap on that thing. Now, you younger kids probably don't know what hubcaps are, uh, but, you know, back in my day, you'd get them knocked off, and they'd go rolling down the road and out in the woods and stuff like that, and then people would come by, scrappers, and they'd... They'd build a whole flea market out of uh, hubcaps, you know. You can go and buy whatever you wanted back in those days. But this thing, that's, that's what this image is giving us right here, Brother Mitch. It's though as Jesus has this dog, this, this, this one that wants to come and destroy, and he's guiding by the chain, and he, allow, he allows it. You don't understand. You don't really understand. You get so wrapped up in going to Cracker Barrel after church, and you get so wrapped up in and uh, just doing your own thing, and, and we come to church and we talk about everything that bothers us and everything we don't like and everything that hurts us and everything that's just n- not right with the world. And you don't understand that God, through his grace right now, do you not know that he is holding back this judgment? That he is actually standing in the way of that, and they can't move, they can't do anything without his command. Now listen to me, they are not working with him. That would be false, that would be heresy, that would be crazy to think that Satan and God are working together. No, God is restricting him. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, what happens? The Bible says the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You know what that means? That he will build up a dam against him and he will not allow him to come in. But let me tell you something. You continue to reject him and you continue to reject him. God's judgment will come someday. And in that judgment is what? It's giving the earth what they've always desired, what they've always wanted, who they've always followed. Steve, I don't follow the devil. If you're not following Jesus, you're following the devil. You're following the ways of Satan. You say, Brother Steve, do you mean that before you came to Jesus that you you actually followed? Yes, everybody did. Well, I, I, I didn't. Yes, you did. You were lost in your sins, and you were following the pleasure of your sins, and everything that you did consisted and revolved around what you wanted to do. And as a Christian, you know what? That should actually change in your life. What's happening now is it's not changing, Jack. It's not changing anymore. For some reason, we, uh, we've, we've got this gospel that's being preached to people that we, you just come and you just do whatever, and you join the church, and you give, and you do this stuff, and you'll be all right, and everything's fine, and and, uh, you know, there's no difference that has to be done. You don't have to change. And, you know, you can still go out and do everything else. When they see you on Saturday night and you're doing all the stuff that you do, and they see you on Thursday or hear you on Thursday and hear all your words that come out of your mouth and hear all the things that you're doing and stuff, and they go, oh, okay, well, well you know, you know uh, Andrew's no different than me, then, you know, that's no big deal. Well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll come over there. I can join the church. It's fine. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll come to your church. That's okay. You know, I'll do, I'll do all right. I'll try to do a little bit better, you know. But it's not about that. It's that when you get saved, you've got to repent. You've got to feel sorry for the things that you did. It's got to be a godly sorrow. And you must repent of those things. Listen, judgment will come someday. You know, there were times when I was a kid that dad would always say, you need to stop or I'm going to whoop you. Now, I know that phrase is also one of those phrases that are lost among the people today. But he said, if you don't stop, I'm going to whoop you. He didn't say, my dad didn't say, son, if you don't stop, I'm going to switch your britches or I'm going to whip you. My dad said, if you don't stop that, son, I'm going to whoop you. You know what I mean? Sometimes warp you. But I'm going to whoop you. Why? And you would think, ha, ha, ha. But, and then when it finally went down and you heard that belt come out of those loops of the pants of those Levi's that sounded like, pop, 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 you know, and he held that, that, 
belt out as though it was a, a lightsaber, and you were like, oh, no. You know, you were like Chewbacca, and you were running, just like, oh, you know, get me out of here. Then the judgment came. But it's too late. Church, I'm, I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm trying to help you. See, because if you are not right now, in this very moment, right now, ready to meet the Lord, and you can say without a shadow of a doubt, I'm ready right now. If he comes now, I'm ready. My sins are forgiven. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I mean, you're waiting for the judgment of God. You're waiting. Not only you, church, but listen, if you're an unbeliever saying, I'm going to do it someday, I'm going to do it. You know, I've heard this, this, this phrase before. Sometimes you may call it an excuse, but it's just a phrase that Satan tries to get. You know, when I do get saved, I'm going to come in all the way. You know, I just don't want to halfway do it and stuff like that. Listen, let me tell you something. You can't, don't say that. Don't say that. Can I tell you, first of all, that you can't do it? You're not able to do it. There's no power in you to be good enough or to do good enough in order to be saved. It's an absolute surrender of your life saying, I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I can't do it on my own power. You know what? You look at people in church and you think they all got it together. Let me tell you something. All these people that you're looking across at and you're sitting around all that, they ain't got it all together. They don't have it all fixed. We're still a bunch of broken people just trying to what? Every day seek God and trying to to listen, be filled with the Spirit, and to grow, and to grow, and to grow, and to grow. Amen? And let me say something on the other part of that. Of those people that profess to you that they got it all together, they're lying. Let's move on. Listen, what kind of power was given unto this rider of the red horse? We're only going to talk about three things this morning. Number one, he had power to steal their peace. Man. The Bible says in verse number four, it says, power was given unto him that sat on the throne to take peace from the earth, to steal their peace. You think about that. There's a big difference in these two riders that we've talked about already. The white horse rider actually looked like he wanted to come and give peace. But this rider of the red horse comes, now he's coming to steal peace. Church, in the middle of this seven-year period that's actually a time-framed period, it's not a series of time, it's not like, okay, maybe it's you know a metaphor. No, it's actually a clock ticking. We're talking about that on Wednesday nights. There's 490 years that are determined upon Israel and upon his holy people and his holy city. And there are seven years that are left in order to be fulfilled. And it is the great tribulation that will be fulfilled. In that first half, this Antichrist will be coming and offering peace. But at the middle, the Bible says, in the middle of that week, he will make a desolation. He will come into the temple that he allowed the Jews to build, that the church begins to come together, and he will declare himself to be God. Listen, he might come out in the beginning as being peaceful, but eventually, Brother Jack, he's going to show himself as this rider of the red horse for who he really is. And listen, you ever hear about this phrase before? You know, eventually their horns are going to start showing. That's exactly what's going to happen. Listen, would you believe me if I told you that this white horse and this red horse, that they are the same? They are Satan. They are the Antichrist. Listen, the, the attack of Satan upon the world today. Listen, God is allowing Satan to come in and to do these things. Did you know, write this down if you didn't know this, the word Satan itself, it means this, adversary. It means opponent, rival, enemy, foe. The word Satan means adversary. The Bible says that Satan, your adversary, is roaring, roaming, and roaring, looking to kill and to devour you. He is an opponent. He's a rival of yours. He's an enemy and a foe. He is not for you. 
He is against you. And let me say something to you. Satan hates you. He despises you, but he's going to come in the beginning and make you feel accepted and loved, but he hates you. He wants to kill you. Here, Listen, the word devil means this, slanderer. It means this, mudslinger, a defamer, or an attacker. The word devil means somebody that would slander your name, sling your name through the mud, or drag your name through the mud. He wants to defame everything about you, and he attacks you constantly over and over and over. But he does it just like small bites, just like small cuts, death by a thousand cuts, and he comes in after you. And now he comes in, and he's showing them that he didn't come to bring peace, but he's going to steal peace from them. He's going to steal it. Here's the second thing, church. He's given power to cause them to kill one another. He's given power in order to cause them to kill one another is what it says in verse number four. Look, it says, and they should kill one another. Why? Satan's come in. The church has gone out. Satan has come in. The church is evacuated. and Satan is injected into this world. Now stop for a moment and think. And I know that you think that the church today really has no significance into this world. I know that even you Christians today have almost given up to the point where you think that you really matter. You think that your voice, your vote, your conversations with people really matter. I hear people talking about, Brother Steve, I, I'm always trying to help someone out. We, get, we talk at Jack's, or we talk down the road here, or Brother Steve, sometimes I, I get caught up in Facebook uh, things and talking to people and trying to share truth with them. Instead, I hear them say, Steve, they, they attack. Man, they're brutal. They come at you and they are slashing in every situation. And let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that these things are going to happen. The Bible tells us that it says they will be ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The Bible even tells us in Ezekiel chapter number 2 and verse number 7, it tells us that we should teach it, preach it, give it, and share it. And it says if they hear, then well, and if they don't, and don't worry about it. But what they should know is in verse number 7 of Ezekiel 2 is that there's been a prophet among them. See, today, it does seem like the church is not making any headway. It does seem like the church is the butt of every joke. Seems like every Christian today that we kind of allow people to say stuff about us and they can do all kinds of cartoon mockery about our God and about Jesus and about our faith, things like that. But if other religions... And they happen, they kind of get mad about it, and they get some good laws or good, you know, retribution passed for them. And the Christians today have seemed to go, you know what, we need to speak up more, we need to do this or whatever, and why can't we have this? And what? There's nothing wrong with having our rights to speak about Jesus Christ. But we're also called to love people. Jesus told them on the Sermon on the Mount, what? He said, I tell you, you've heard it said to hate your enemies, I tell you to love your enemies. And you know that the old phrase, kill them with kindness, sometimes that's hard to do. You know, it's especially hard if you don't have love and you don't have kindness in your heart in order to do that to them. You know, the Bible says that peace can only be given to the Christians, to us, to the believer, to every man and woman in here. Peace can only be given by Jesus. He said, my peace give I unto you. He said, not as the world gives. He said, but my peace give I unto you. In other words, it's a peace that the Bible tells us passes all understanding. Bible says it's the kind of peace that we can have to know <clears throat> that we can lay our heads down at night, that we can stand beside caskets and we can stand beside hospital beds 
knowing the same kind of peace that we can stand within the church and know that God has got this and he is in control. We have total peace. But when that is ejected out of this church or out of this world, when that those people are ejected out, you know, your person in here that you love and they're, they're very peaceful and I mean, you love to be around them. When that, when that person's gone because the rapture of the church has taken place and Satan comes in and he steals peace from everybody, people are going to be wild like animals. People are going to be slaughtering one another. People are going to be killing one another for food. They're going to be killing one another just because of the way they look. Listen, the Bible teaches us, and you need to pay attention to this, the Bible teaches us that in the last days, we would see these things warming up. Man, don't you know that we see them now? You know, in the 90s when I was in high school, people were shooting one another over shoes. You know, as you grow up, you go to a movie theater, watch one of your superhero movies, and sitting in the same theater can be somebody who is possessed with the devil. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it crazy. You can call it insane, possessed with a demon and can unload and kill people. You can go to churches today, sit in a service, almost get into the invitation time and someone stand up within the service and take people out. And it is causing people to be afraid. It's causing people to be afraid to go to movies, to games, church, all of this stuff. Imagine when the church is out of here. Imagine when the Spirit of God has been taken out of this area and out of this world. And those who are always, Brother Adam, saying, come, come to Jesus. We love you. The Bible says in Revelation 22, it says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. All of those people saying, come, we love you. Come to Jesus, we love you. Come to Jesus. All of those people are gone. All of them are out of here. The bride and the spirit are ejected. People are going to kill one another, destroy one another. Listen, without the tugging of the bride and the Christ to live right <coughs> for the sanctity of life, for morals and rules of righteousness, what do you think it's going to be like during the Great Tribulation? Now think about this. Ask people how it felt. Someone here, and I know I have some friends here that have had this happen to them, and I wouldn't want to put them on the spot, but they've had their homes broken into or been a part of a robbery, had a gun held to them face to face. Ask them how they felt whenever it was over and whenever it was finished. Ask them how it felt to watch, even in a situation where you're relaxing and having a good time, to see your friend, your son, and others diving down and running around. Ask them how it feels to do something like that. It's a terrifying thing. But when the church is gone and when the spirit is gone, it's going to be intensified to the point that Jesus says it's going to be like a day that never was before. Listen, we already see this happening today. We see these signs right here. There's more people cleaning their guns and cleaning their weapons and buying more ammunition, stockpiling food while they're bypassing time with God's word and worshiping him. There are more men that are teaching their children how to shoot a gun than they are to actually worship the Lord. And listen, don't take any offense to me, all of you NRA, gun-toting, good southern people, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. I, I have guns, you have guns, that's fine, all right? 
we have security teams here and we do all that stuff. Before you blow up on me and get all huffy and puffy, I'm just trying to tell you that you're teaching them something that is just life here. But if you don't teach them how to worship God and how to come to Jesus, then all you've done is just help them out here and you never help them out eternally. And we have more people that are focused on that portion trying to think that they're going to be able to stop this Antichrist coming in and doing these things. There's no gun around that can stop him. There's no weapon around that's going to be able to stop Brother Jack what he's going to be doing and what he's going to inflict. And so before you put your bandana on and play Rambo, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Before you go out into the woods and chop down a big tree like Commando and Arnold Schwarzenegger and think, oh, I'm just going to build me something and I'll make it through all this stuff, you ain't. You're not. Without Christ, you're not going to make it. Listen, church, here's the last thing. Look closely at, well, look closely at one thing before we get to the last. It says, it's not that the Antichrist is going to be killing them. Look at what it says, that the spirit of Satan is going to be so strong, Brother Craig, in this tribulation time, it says, and they kill one another. It's going to be like Cain and Abel. It's going to be just, just massacre upon massacre. But look at this last thing. Power was given to destroy with a great sword. <clears throat> He's going to destroy. Do you remember, have you ever read about a five-star general of the United States Army? He was actually a leader in World War II by the name of General Omar Bradley. Omar Bradley was one that was just a training officer and come in into World War II. He wanted to do great things. He had just missed World War I, and he actually was always sad about missing World War I um, because he wanted to serve his country. And When he came in in World War II, uh, he was a training officer as he went in he was assigned to the European theater area, and he was underneath General George S. Patton, Jr., you know, this guy uh, that was just one of the greats, you know. But Omar Bradley, General Omar Bradley, was actually, I think it was in like 48 or 49 that he was moved up in ranks and stuff. He was part of the ones that uh, commanded the waves to come in on Normandy. But uh, if you don't know this about this general, General Bradley was the only general so far to command the largest company and group of the uh, field army soldiers, uh, infantry soldiers. He was the only one, it was the biggest one. It was the 12th uh, Army regime. It was actually, um, he had people that were in Sicily that he was commanding, he had people that were at Normandy he was commanding, he had people that were in Africa that he was commanding, and he also had people, a company, a field company in Germany that he was commanding. He was just huge. This guy was called the, the GI general. He was called the soldier's general, which meant that every one of the soldiers liked him because he loved his men. He cared about them. He cared enough to find out about them. He never wanted them to ever suffer death, and so he was, he was just a compassionate general, so they called him the GI general. Well, this is what he said in 1948, November the 10th. He gave the Armist Day address, and uh, actually what we would know as Veterans Day now it was changed in the 50s uh, from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. Listen to what he says. With the monstrous weapons man ha already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. We have many men of science, too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life 
and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. More about killing than we know about living. This is our 20th century's claim to distinction and progress. He said we know more about the atom than we do about the Sermon on the Mount. We are nuclear giants while we're ethical and moral infants. How true is that? We think men, let me tell you something, men, you know what the best thing you can do to help your family and to save your family from tribulation that is coming and to save them from the wrath and war of this person on the red horse is that you can sit down with them and you can make sure that they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. You can sit down with them at night instead of trying to show them how to load the clip up and try to get everything right and aim small, miss small, and shoot accurately and stuff, which I'm not knocking you. I'm telling you that that's important. This is the most important. You sit down with them and you read the Sermon on the Mount to them. And you sit down with them and you show them the miracles of Jesus and you share with them the wonderful love of God. Listen, Albert Einstein said this, as long as there will be man, there will always be war. He was tore up inside because the equation that he came to know and understand actually caused the death of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Who is this rider? Church, it's the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come in and he looks peaceful, but he's going to come in red. Come on, Andrew. Listen, look at this definition. John chapter 10, verse number 10 says this. The thief comes to kill or to steal, kill, and destroy. Boy, that's the perfect portrait of this rider on the red horse. The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm thankful that Jesus thought enough that he would warn us of that. But let me tell you something. I am more thankful that he didn't stop at that point, but he extended the conversation by saying this last portion of the Scripture. He said, but I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, the Antichrist, this rider of the red horse, he's going to come in and steal peace from you. He's going to cause you to be a murdersome, kill, have this bloodshed attitude, bloodthirst attitude, but he's going to destroy. And if you see that scripture in Revelation, it says that he's given a great sword. You know what it's like? It just kind of swaths down a path that they will swing. He's going to swing that destruction, and it's just going to be just chaos through this earth. Church, but Jesus came to give you life. Satan doesn't want to, Satan wants to steal. Jesus wants to give peace. Satan wants to kill. The Bible says Jesus wants to give you life. Satan wants to destroy you, but Jesus says, no, I want you to live eternally. He wants you to live forever. That's what you need to be teaching. Will you pray with me this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this morning, those of you that are going to be baptized, have a part of that this morning. You go ahead and step out quietly if you would. Andrew's going to sing in just a moment. I want to ask you personally this morning. We're going to re be real just cut and dry with it. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ Lord? If he is not Lord... And what I mean by that, if he is not Lord, if he does not take first priority, top priority of everything, are you really his? It can't be. The Bible says 
He tells us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So if he's your Lord, you obey him, you follow him. If he's your Lord, you don't say, oh, you don't have to go to church. You say, oh, Jesus died for the church. I'm going to love the church like Jesus loved the church. If he's your Lord, you don't say, ah, Lord, I'm going to get by with what I want to do. This is just a little thing. And you know, it's not, no. If he's your Lord, he says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And you stay away from those things. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? You have to answer that all on your own. And here's the other question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking, please. Just be peaceful. Just, just be respectful. No, Steve, he's not my Lord, and I've realized that. But I want him to be my Lord now. Will you raise your hand? All I'm going to do is pray for you. I'm not going to get you. I'm not going to pick you up and grab you. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. Listen, I'm tired of thinking that it happened then or this or that. I, I, now... He's going to be the Lord of my life now. I'm going to give him all authority. Amen.